I like when I'm explaining kind of lightning to people that aren't super technical or like don't really know a lot about maybe how Bitcoin works. I think one thing that I find really interesting about lightning and that I think is useful for maybe understanding what's going on there is one thing that's cool to remember is lightning kind of came out of this idea that transacting on the blockchain. So the layer one is kind of like the court of law and that you can have contracts and relationships and economic relationships with other people where you only have to go to the court of law or the layer one in the case of a dispute or a problem or where the other party in your contract stops responding, right? So the idea with like Lightning is that we can transact, people can transact peer-to-peer -peer transactions. They can exchange Bitcoin in a trustless way without having to talk to the blockchain, except in case of there being a problem. Well, guys, welcome once again to Bitcoiner, the podcast for Bitcoiners from Salvador into the world. Today, we had the great pleasure to talk uh, with Nifty Nay. So thank you for being here. Thank you for your time and welcome. <laughs> hey, I'm so glad to be here, Juan. Thank you for inviting me on. Before we start the podcast, uh, as I told you, uh, this podcast, one of the goals is to, to be a bridge between new people that are um, knowing about Bitcoin. Uh, we have, in the past, we had a different guest in the show. So we talk about basically everything, Bitcoin, CBDCs, uh, shitcoins. <laughs> and also blockchains. Um, but I think this episode is going to be a little bit different because I know that your specialty is Lightning Network. So I think it's one of the topics that we haven't talked much yet. And I think it's really important. And uh, I gotta be honest, uh, I was talking with Carol Sosa and uh, she mentioned one of the workshops that you're, uh, that you're currently working on. And uh, I was curious about it and did my research. And I think it's really interesting for the audience. So, well, we will go, <laughs> we will go further into it. But before we start the podcast, maybe uh, could you introduce a little bit about yourself and talk a bit about your background? Um, maybe uh, where are you from? And we will go further. Sure, yeah. So my name's Nifty. Um, also go by Lisa. I live in Texas. I'm from Texas originally. Um, I've been working in Bitcoin for about half a decade at this point. I started in 2018. Um, before that, I spent half a decade working as an Android engineer. So I've been a software developer for about a decade at this point, a little over a decade. Um, I, um, yeah, so long-time software engineer. I didn't originally go to school to be a software engineer. I went to school to study Spanish and Portuguese and like business administration stuff. So and liberal arts. Um, so I was like, I went to school at Austin University of Texas. It was like a liberal arts and business major. And then while I was in school, I took a few basic programming classes and had a lot of fun um, and decided I wanted to learn how to do Android and stuff. So kind of just set off on the dev path after college um yeah still located in texas i've lived in a bunch of other places i spent a lot of time living in brazil when i was in college because i was learning portuguese oh. yeah um which is actually how i think i got to know um the area of bitcoin people 
Um, I guess I can talk about that. Anyway, so I've been in Bitcoin for a long time. <laughs> Most of the time I've been working at Blockstream on a project called Lightning. Um, I work on a, there's a bunch of different, so Lightning is a specification, kind of like how HTTP or like websites are specification. And then you have a bunch of browsers. There's like the Chrome browser, there's Safari browser, there's like Mozilla Firefox browsers. Um, Lightning has a bunch of implementations in the same way that there's lots of browsers. So like I worked on one Lightning implementation called Core Lightning. Um, yeah, there's a couple, the other ones are, there's one in by Lightning Labs has an implementation. There's a team in France called Asank that has a Lightning implementation. Um, and then there's a team at Spiral that has a sort of implementation of Lightning called LDK. Um, so that's sort of the ecosystem I work in. I've been working on writing specs for Lightning, like, you know, what are all these implementations, how are they going to talk to each other? How do they all know what each other are saying? Because they're all bit written by different people. So we need a process of making sure that everyone understands each other because we're all writing separate software things that all have to like interoperate to build a network, basically. But maybe that's a little too like whatever. So yeah, I've been working <laughs> on Lightning for a long time. Last year, I started a side project though called Base58, which is teaching developers and really curious, very technical people about how base, about how Bitcoin works at a technical level. So um, yeah, so I've been doing, I kind of taking a break from Lightning to work on some of that recent this year and work on a textbook about how Bitcoin works. Wow, that's amazing. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, I, I didn't know you work with uh, on Blockstream. By the way, guys, Blockstream is a recently is a partner of the of the show. So yeah. Oh, cool. Congrats. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I was a big. Um, I'm currently on sabbatical from the Blockstream Lightning team. I left okay. in. Well, I went on sabbatical in January, which still still okay. feels really recent. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes it's good to just disconnect <laughs> from from work to inspire in another one. Um, yeah. But... Yeah. <laughs> So it hasn't been much of a break. I've been working really hard on the education stuff. And then I also run a Bitcoin conference series called for developers called Bitcoin Plus Plus. Mm -hmm. We just had one in Austin. We're going to have one in Berlin in the fall. We're hoping to do one in Argentina in the early, like, in like January, February. So summer for Argentina. Um, oh, the school. <laughs> anyways, yeah, I'm a, I do a lot. I get up to a lot. I just I a lot. <laughs> No, no, that, that's why I was saying that it's good to have a break just to focus on other stuff, but it's not a break, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, I get that. So, um, and how do you start your, your rabbit hole journey? I know one of the things that I, this is the classic question in the podcast, and I know the other podcasts do it, but I think it's, it's really interesting for the uh, our different audience to know uh, how everyone's got into Yeah, Bitcoin. so, you mean, came to Bitcoin, kind of? Yeah. Um, so I've been in tech circles for like over a decade now, right? So I definitely heard about Bitcoin a long time ago. My friends explained to me how mining works. I always thought it was really cool. And I had friends that held it and used it to buy drugs on the internet. Um, I think that's like all my friends were using it for like Silk Road stuff. Um, so I knew about it for a long time, but I got into it from like the technical angle, really. Um, I think first blockchain, blockchain stuff, I say blockchain stuff I did is me and a friend started working on an Ethereum contract. So I actually read the yellow paper which oh. is like a thing that Vitalik put out later um, before I read the white paper, the Bitcoin white paper. Um, 
and tried doing some stuff over in like East contracting land. Um, it was fun. I had a kind of difficult time with some of it, but it was a really kind of a fun thing to do. Um, and then, um, and then I ended up getting a job at a big company called Cash App here in the States. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they're very popular or well-known outside of the U.S. Um, yeah, it's they had, yeah, but they had just made, I was, I joined them because I wanted to stop being an Android developer. I wanted to do backend stuff. And they were one of the few companies that, um, well, they, they had a backend that was in Java. So I had done Java on Android. And so switching over to do backend in Java was like, it's sort of easier switch. Um, cause it's all the same language. I just have to learn what it's like to write server code instead of mobile phone code. Um, and when I got hired, they were had two teams that were looking for new people. One of the teams was doing something on databases called database sharding project, which if you're not technical, might not know what that means, but you take a big database, you split it to a bunch of pieces, and then you have to have like a little, like basically like phone operator. So whenever someone calls and says, Hey, I need a piece of data with Lisa's name on it. <laughs> um, there's like a central brain that says, Oh, we've sharded it. We've moved it to all these different places, but you can go find it over here. If that makes sense. So um, you take what used to be one single source, you could just call and it would give you the answer and then you make it a bunch of places and then you have a central call operator who has to tell you. Anyway, that was one of the projects. Um, <laughs> the other project, I did not get put on that project. The other project that needed backend devs when I got hired just so happened like the week I got hired, the Bitcoin custodial team was looking for engineers. Hmm. Um, and so they were like, the sharding team is like, I don't know, you're like a mobile dev. That seems like a really big, difficult project for someone who's doing mobile. Why don't we put you on Bitcoin? Because that won't be as complicated. Um, <laughs> so I ended up on the Bitcoin backend at Cash App as one of the first, probably the first new, no, one of the first new hires on the team. I think there were already like five, four or five people already working on the team. So I got added to that team. I was there for five months and then I managed to figure out a way to get myself um, snatched away by Blockstream to go work on Lightning. So I worked on the custodial backend at Cash App for like five or six months. And then um, through a bit of luck and like just sort of weird stuff I was doing on the internet, um, I managed to get the attention of one of the lead Lightning spec developers, Rusty Russell, who leads heads up the Lightning team at Blockstream. Um, and he offered me a job over at Blockstream to work on Lightning Specs. And I said, that sounds like the opportunity of a lifetime. Um, Cash App's been really great. I'll see you guys later. I'm going to go work on this like cool open source project and learn mm -hmm. some C code. So that was five years ago. That was in 2018. Yeah. Wow. Before pandemic and everything. <laughs> That's a cool yeah. One. Yeah. That's... Long time ago. All right. So uh, as you probably uh, listen or saw, guys, because I don't know if you're watching it or listening. <laughs> we we already mentioned uh, a couple of times lightning. So, uh, how do you explain to people lightning without going? To, I mean, non-technical explanation of lightning. Yeah. What, what if? Yeah. How how do you explain it for to your mom or your grandma or your I don't know anyone that is there are not. Yeah, computers. my mom, and my grandma don't ask what I do, so I don't <laughs> explain it to them, unfortunately. But. <laughs> I think if I had to explain it to someone who maybe is like pretty new to Bitcoin, it's kind yeah. of like, I think one way of thinking about it is like, 
there's like the you know whenever you have like well at least this maybe this is like a very american way of explaining it but in banking when you want to send money we have something called like an ach thing where it takes a couple days to move it like you tell your bank you want to move money from one bank to the next and then they say it'll take two or three days for the money to show up in the new bank account so you kind of have like this sort of slow process you know it'll get there but it's going to take some time um and then another way we have of like paying for things in like normal money stuff is with credit cards right you swipe your card and it immediately gets charged and the money moves immediately do you think of like maybe the bitcoin based layer as being that like kind of slower one to two days you don't know how long it's going to take but you assume it'll get there eventually um uh that's kind of like transacting with bitcoin like on chain um and it takes a little more setup. You kind of have to like do a little more work. You have to get them to tell you how much money to pay. They give you an address. You have to make sure you put the right number in, all of that. Versus Lightning um, is instant. Um, so you can instantly pay with Bitcoin. Um, it's as simple as scanning a QR code that tells you what you're buying, how much money you're spending. Your wallet just automatically like lets you look at what you're paying for. And then you hit pay and the money just immediately goes and gets paid. So lightning is like, we call lightning, it's a technical term, I guess, or like layman's term for that is like a payment rails network, right? It's a way that you can make payments electronically very quickly, um, except that instead of using something like a credit card or fiat, you're using Bitcoin to settle, um, to Bitcoin is exchanging hands and they're doing it really, really quickly, which is cool. And uh, all right, so I have another question that is uh, because uh, some friends of mine also asked me that, okay, Lightning is a uh, layer two um, from Bitcoin, right? So that's right, yeah. How, how do you make it or or why is um, more efficient or the transactions are really uh, quick instead of the when you do it on the core base of uh, Bitcoin? Yeah, that's a really great question. So I like when I'm explaining kind of lightning to people that aren't super technical or like don't really know a lot about maybe how Bitcoin works. I think one thing that I find really interesting about lightning and that I think is useful for maybe understanding what's going on there is one thing that's cool to remember is lightning kind of came out of this idea that transacting on the blockchain. So the layer one is kind of like the court of law and that you can have contracts and relationships and economic relationships with other people where you only have to go to the court of law or the layer one in the case of a dispute or a problem or where the other party in your contract stops responding, right? So the idea with like Lightning is that we can transact, people can transact peer-to-peer -peer transactions. They can exchange Bitcoin in a trustless way without having to talk to the blockchain, except in case of there being a problem. So it's like you and your friends can make a contract. You know, you have a lawyer, draw up a standardized contract. You guys can make a contract and you and your friend can do business with this contract um, and be successful at, at conducting business between the two of you. Um, and most times there won't be problems, right? Most of the time you and your friend will agree on what you've agreed on and you'll like trust that the contract is correct. Um, and most of the time you don't end up in a court of law, right? So one way of thinking about Lightning is the spec developers like myself or like the lawyers, we write up the rules and the contracts 
Um, and then the lightning implementations kind of use these contracts to talk to each other. So whenever they create a lightning like channel, so to speak, that's really like opening up a contract in a shared joint banking account, so to speak, between two people. And then they can use basically Bitcoin contracts, Bitcoin transactions that they don't share with anyone else. They just keep them between the two of them to update what their balance is. Like, so they update how much they owe each other, whatever. Um, and every time you change the contract in Lightning, so Lightning is kind of like a Bitcoin transaction that you don't spend, you just hold on to it and you can spend it in the future. But what you take whatever that transaction says that like, we'll have like, um, let's say I have a Bitcoin and you have a Bitcoin in the channel. We'll have a contract, we'll have a signed contract and both of us have to produce a signature to make that contract valid. So every time we change the balance, we just write a new contract and we both sign, we just produce signatures for the new version of the contract. And then the most up-to-date version of the contract will have both of our signatures, which in terms of like, you know, when you go to a court of law, you're like, here's the contract, we both signed it, right? You can take that. It's a In this case, it's not actually a contract. It's actually a Bitcoin transaction, which are sort of like forms and you okay. need signatures to make them actually valid on chain. You can take that that signed Bitcoin transaction to the blockchain, which is the court in this case, and have them figure out, okay, is this a valid transaction, et cetera. So um, that's why Lightning works so well and so fast is because in order for two people to agree that their balance has changed in Lightning, all you need to do is get two new signatures, right? Um, mm -hmm. And with like modern communication technology, that's really fast. That's as fast as your network can work, right? And how fast your database can save it to disk. Like, so how fast can lightning payments be? Is like, how fast is your network connection and how fast is your hardware where you're saving the new, the new signatures, right? Because you don't want to count it as saved until you've saved it to disk, right? Like that makes sense. Um, so, um, so lightning is a lot faster than on-chain because in on-chain, you have to wait for a miner to take that that transaction that you've made with the form and include it in a block that they're making. And there's a lot of other people that want to do it. So you're like kind of competing with whoever else wants to transact at the same time. And it's this big global, everyone in the world using Bitcoin is all competing to for the miner's attention, for the miner to add that transaction. Whereas in Lightning, you already have, so there's, there's cost, setup costs because setting up all these contracts to be able to do lightning payments takes time, right? That takes a transaction on chain to set up that contract. But once you have all these contracts established and if you have the contracts established in the right places, then you can get a bunch of people transacting really quickly with Bitcoin without ever having mm -hmm. to talk to the layer one or go to court, right? So. Okay, okay, yeah. Okay, <laughs> I was processing about it, yeah. It's, it's really cool yeah. how, how you explain it because um, I mean, it's, it's uh, I, I have heard other explanations, but this one is like really um, illustrative. Yeah, you can say that. <laughs> uh, really, sorry, I didn't catch the word you said. It's really. Uh, it's that it, it is really that you can imagine how it works in your mind. Yeah, that's how. Yeah, right? You're like, oh, it's <laughs> contracts, and two people are <laughs> signing contracts, and mm -hmm. like, and if there's a problem, you have to go talk to layer one. But otherwise, yeah, like, it makes sense, right? You're like, oh, okay. Um, and uh, I also there... like mm -hmm. no go ahead go ahead oh I, I was gonna say I like it as an analogy because it's actually what's happening it's a real description of what lightning is doing um, yeah absolutely now I was going to ask you that uh I've heard on another podcast um uh, a couple months ago I think probably it, it was someone that I was interviewing you I think 
on Bitcoin Medicine. And uh, uh, they mentioned the, the concept of core lining, but I think by that time it was like a, a new, um, I don't know, concept or, or not, because previously it was called C lining, right? So yeah, it's called C-lining. and it's the same thing uh, as lining or what is the thing. difference? Okay. It's the same project. We just renamed it. So it used originally. So like, remember I was talking about how like there's like the lightning spec, which like defines all these contracts, right? And like how lightning nodes are going to talk to each other, how they're going to build the contract. So all that gets written into code, which is cool. So you can open a lightning channel with anyone else. And they already both know exactly how to negotiate a contract on your behalf and you don't have to do anything. You just say open channel and then mm -hmm. it will like set up the contract. You have to fund it with money, but you can set up a contract, fund it and like have a signed contract between two parties and all of that is baked into the lightning implementation software. It does all that for you, which is cool. Um, uh, C, so there's a bunch of them, right? Kind of like internet browsers. C lightning is originally called C lightning because it's written in a software language called C. We changed the name to Core Lightning. It's still the same project. Most of it is still in C, except that we added a new, there's like a lot more Rust, which is a different programming language yeah. in the project now. So we thought it was like a good idea to update the name because it's not a C Lightning project. It's a Core Lightning project. Um, I don't know. So we so wanted to keep the, the initials. So we had to come up with something that Oh, yeah, the works. Yeah, the yeah, works. Exactly. So it is based on Rust. Uh, but this uh, programming language is also used on other blockchains, right? Uh, because I've heard yeah. of uh -huh. just parts of the project are Rust stuff. Like, okay. the, the way that our project is built, so every, every Lightning implementation is architected differently, which is the cool thing about there being different implementations different teams get to decide how they want to make the lightning node work and so they all work a little differently mm -hmm. um the core lightning one is built kind of in mod like really kind of like modularized pieces so mm -hmm. you can rewrite one of them in rust and then mm -hmm. leave the rest of the project as it is and they have kind of well-defined ways of all these pieces talking to each other mm -hmm. so it's easy to swap out how one piece works into a different language and still have the whole thing work so it's like more Frankenstein-ish, I guess, but yeah. Yeah, and uh, hold on. So, and, and and what is the difference between uh, lining and liquid? Because is one faster than the other one or or is, mod I know it could be more than that, but I don't know. These are great questions. Okay, so liquid, <laughs> liquid is like a another drop of two project no this is great one of the things i've been talking a lot about lately is what are layer twos and so i've been doing analogies between like lightning and liquid because they're both what i would call layer twos right a layer mm -hmm. two just means you can transact with bitcoin but you don't have to talk to a miner to get your transaction in a block you can mm -hmm. there's some other way or of doing or transacting with bitcoin Usually you need a new accounting system. So in like Lightning, we use these signed contracts as mm -hmm. the accounting system and whatever the most recent signed contract says, that's your balance. So that's the new accounting way, if that makes sense. Liquid is yeah. different in that the way that they do accounting is they created a whole new blockchain. So when you have a balance on Liquid and you want to transact on Liquid, it's a lot like transacting on Bitcoin, the layer one Bitcoin. The mm -hmm. difference is that 
Um, the people who make the blocks are like a federation. There's like 15 members in this federation. They're spread all out throughout the world um, in a bunch of different jurisdictions and stuff. So um, it's very hard for someone to coordinate them because they're like so far apart in different parts of the world anyways. Um, and they're like a network where they create a block, I think every minute. So I think it takes two blocks for a transaction to be final. So you mm -hmm. would just, you would write. So if you have Bitcoin on liquid, you would write a transaction. The cool, another cool thing about having a new blockchain is that Blackstream has some of the world's best cryptographers working at it. So when they built liquid, which they did this half a decade ago, which I think is so impressive, they built into it some really at then state of the art ways of hiding what you're transacting with and the amounts you're transacting with, we call those confidential transactions. So you can mm -hmm. have a, you can make transactions in a blockchain in the blocks, but you can use cryptography to hide what you're transacting and how much such that you can, you can reveal to your friends, you can have like these special keys. So special keys are kind of like, like sort of like glasses, like rose colored glasses. So if you have the special key, when you look at the blockchain, you can see what the amounts are and how it moved. But most people don't have that special key. They don't have those special glasses. So when they see the blockchain, it just looks like a bunch of data and they don't know who's transacting and how much. So um, having a new blockchain let, gives us the opportunity to add new features to transactions, like this confidential transaction stuff. Another cool thing that Liquid has that the main chain doesn't have is like new assets. So you can issue new assets on Liquid. Um, which I think a big project, well, one that I found out recently is there's a effort to take promissory note contracts in like Mexico and make it such that you can issue those on liquid and trade them and have our digital record of them on the liquid blockchain. Um, mm -hmm. and then be able to like, I guess, trade them. I don't really understand. I didn't really understand the whole thing, but there's a really cool podcast that we just put out or that Blackstream just put out about this cool big project to take this million dollar, multi-million dollar industry of promissory notes um, and be able to have digital records of them instead of paper records so you can have them on the blockchain, which is cool. Um, and I think those also have, I don't know if they're using confidential transactions for those, but you would be able to transact confidentially with those on Liquid um, in like a decentralized way, which is really cool. So if you owned a promissory note, you wanted to sell it to someone or prove that you had it, you could give them the special glasses so they could see it. And then you could sell it to them and then they could, I don't know. I don't really understand what you use promissory notes for. So like, kind of like, I don't know what that works. Um, But yeah, so liquid is like another layer too. So you can put your Bitcoin into liquid and then transact with it faster than, so like on the normal Bitcoin network, new transactions get processed on average every 10 minutes. On liquid, they get processed on average every two minutes. So you get, you can cut the time by like 5X speed up. But it's not as fast as lightning, right? Because you're still waiting for new blocks to get made. Whereas on um, on lightning, we only had to wait for new signatures to get made, right? And that's super mm -hmm. fast. Mm -hmm. So lightning's called lightning because it's lightning fast. Um, liquid's <laughs> called liquid because I don't know. <laughs> Put it around. It yeah, yeah, it could yeah. be. Um, yeah. Uh, actually, I was asking you that this because, um, well, I'm not sure, uh, but uh, the thing that are implementing in El Salvador that Najib wants to do, uh, the volcano bonds, I've heard yeah. some months ago that they're going to implement it with liquid, with liquid liquidity network. So, uh, but I'm not sure if 
if they're going to implement that with that but but it's good to know how how it could work you know yeah so the cool thing about doing it on liquid is that um you can then basically you have like a on-chain asset that you can trade easily right or like you can have it in your digital wallet and see it so i think i think there's like you know like right now when you own a stock or like an equity in a company right where does that record live who has it why do they have it like if I like I own, let's say I own, I own like $10 of Amazon stock or whatever, right? Um, I don't know where that like stock certificate, like where is it written down that I own $10 worth of Amazon stock? I don't know. I kind of have to trust the company that says that I own $10 worth of Amazon stock to like remember that that's me that owns it. And if something ever happens to the company that I'm holding the stock at, like, how do I sell it to someone else if that company mm -hmm. goes away? Like, where is the record of me owning that stock? Like, where does that exist? I think this is like a big problem in like the asset industry in total. Like, it's not digitized. I mean, they have digital records, but they're like in centralized databases. And mm -hmm. there is still some trust that like whoever's holding that record will be around or like you'll be able to at some point go figure out that I was the one that was holding it. By moving those records onto something like Liquid, and Liquid, I think it's been really working really hard to be a good platform to issue those sorts of assets on. I, as the like stockholder or the volcano bondholder, get like in a wallet a private like I have a private key that says that I'm the one that holds it, right? And I have the right. I then at any time can sell it to someone else on like an exchange, but I have to like. I have to make a signature with my key to show that I've moved it over to the next person in a transaction, right? So having assets in a blockchain like that is really great for a couple of reasons. One, you get like a nice trial trail of who's owned what. Um, and if you use the confidential transaction stuff for it, you can have that trail. So you have an audit trail, but you make it such that only the people with the like right rose colored glasses can see it. Otherwise, no one else knows kind of who owns what, which is really a nice feature, I think, because you get the best of the auditability. If someone wanted mm -hmm. to like a big mm -hmm. organization and they want to audit who has it, you can have give them the glasses so they can see it. Um, but uh, for private holders, then you can for the general no one like outside of your small circle of people, no one knows you own $10 of Amazon stock, right, is the whole idea. Um, so I think Liquid, I think, struck a really nice balance between these two things. Like, how do we make it such that things are auditable? And the nice thing about auditability is, you know, like, if you're able to audit, like, the supply, you know that they haven't just created a whole bunch of extra stuff. Um, so it lets you kind of, yeah, I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I think it's kind of cool. And the cool thing to me is, like, like Blackstream made all of this happen five years ago before any other side chains happened, Um so it's been out for a long time. It hasn't been super used. Um, I think people give it a lot of, I think people really look down on Liquid because it doesn't have a lot of use. Um, but I'm like, I don't know, I'm very much a technologist. I'm like, yes, but they shipped a very technically interesting project. The fact that no one's using it, I feel like is a separate problem. Um, more mm -hmm. people are using it now. So like the Volcano Bonds, it sounds like they're working on getting those issued on Liquid. Um, Blackstream issued like a mining note a few years ago. So you could buy a part of a an issued asset that in three years, I guess it's like next year at this point, you get paid out in Bitcoin based on how much hash rate you own for that contract kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um anyways, so there's like stuff on liquid. It's cool. No, but yeah, I, I was thinking about the 
when you were explaining the the audit part because I figure now why they're probably they're developing on liquid because it's it's going to be transparent but at the same time it's private right so um, it's a good way to, to anyone that uh, wants to um, hold a volcano bond uh, it's a it's a good way to to invest in that okay so so that's really cool and I think people now will be more um, I don't know. It could, well, I don't like to say trust, but it, they will see how how it works transparently. <laughs> yeah, and uh, actually, uh, right now I want to ask you, um, changing a little bit the subject, the subject, uh, although it's not everything is related. Actually, <laughs> I want to ask you, <laughs> I want to ask you about the the social multisig, but I know that we have to go a step before we yeah, go. Yeah, so this kind of goes into, so I've been doing a lot of explaining on the podcast, right? I like talking. So thank you for having me on to explain things. Um, <laughs> part, of, part of being a person who likes explaining things means that I've started running like a school and doing, trying to do more like projects where I explain and show people how like existing tools work, like on the technical side. So I have a project called Base58, which is really focused on dev education. So if you're a dev or you're technically minded, and you want to learn how Bitcoin transactions work, you can go to the Dev Base 58 like classes. We have like some online classes and do that. But I partnered up with Area Bitcoin, which is a Brazilian-based um, Bitcoin education company. They operate at, I would say, like, so if you kind of think of it as like, you know, Bitcoin's got like the technical layer, which is like super out of the bytes work, what's exactly happening when you create these like contracts in Bitcoin? Like, what is that? What's in it? What's the information? Um, that's like, I would say pretty low level. Um, it's cool stuff to know, but it's definitely a lot harder. Like you need to understand a lot more about how computers work before you can start understanding what's going on there. And then as you kind of go up, there's like, okay, then there's like the very top level of like, what is Bitcoin? How does it work? What is it? Global decentralized ledger? What is like the emission strategy? And then I think if you go like, there's kind of like some space between like the very low level and like the very top level. Yeah. So Area Bitcoin, I think um, we're starting, I think Area Bitcoin kind of starts at the top and is like, we're, um, they've kind of partnered with me and we're trying to work our way down, if that makes sense. So mm -hmm. the idea is that you can get into Bitcoin at the top level and then slowly take progressively more classes. So maybe at some point you get to the point where you want to take technical classes at base 58 and learn all the technical dev stuff. So one of our first projects that we did is how to use an existing technical tool called Sparrow Wallet. Um, mm -hmm. And the whole idea with it. So we did a, we did, I think it's like an hour and a half, like workshop online. You can just, I think it costs like 10 to $20. It's like not, it's very affordable, I think. Yeah. And the idea is we teach you how to use open source software. So this is free software that anyone can use. And we show you how to download it. Well, assuming you've downloaded it, we show you how to set up a multi-sig wallet with um, a friend. So in the example, Carol and I, Carol is one of the women who founders of um, Area Bitcoin. We go through the process of using Sparrow Wallet to set up a two of two multi-sig wallet. Um, this is really fun and I think kind of cool and important because learning how to build your own multi-sigs is really cool, especially like if you run a business or if you as a family own Bitcoin, you really want, like, it's cool if you have family Bitcoin, let's say you've got like, I come from a family of five, I've got two siblings and two parents, right? Imagine if like, we have a family account of Bitcoin, right? And we want to make it such that 
three of the five people in the family have to sign to move the family Bitcoin, right? So it's really good to have when you hold Bitcoin to have multiple signers, or let's say you're running a business and you've got three co-founders and you want such that two of the co-founders have to sign on any transactions for the um for the company funds, for example, right? Being able to set up a wallet where that's possible, I think is something that's kind of daunting and seems really difficult. But Sparrow Wallet makes it really easy. So we made this like what we hope is like a pretty easy tutorial where you can download Sparrow, set up private keys on each other's computers. You don't have to share the private keys. You can send each other kind of some public information that then the central person builds, uses that to build this multi-sig wallet. We go through this all in a little like tutorial. Um, and then at the end, you get this wallet kind of description. It's just like this big block of text that you can import into like almost any Bitcoin wallet. And then you can watch money land into that wallet. And then we use Blue Wallet on our mobile phone. So you can set mm -hmm. it up with Sparrow. You can import it into your Blue Wallet app, which is on your phone. And then you can type in your private key into the, to the app, which normally you don't really want like a private key on a phone. Mm -hmm. um, you can also do it. You could also use like a hardware key with your wallet. But for the example, we just type it in. The cool mm -hmm. thing though is because it's multi-seg, if each of you has a private key on five different phones, then someone has to compromise a bunch of different phones before they're able to get your funds. So it's like less, it's less of a problem than if you have one key and you put that on your phone, I wouldn't recommend doing that. That's like, absolutely a, <laughs> not a good idea because then mm -hmm. one person only has to read off of your one phone. Right. Um, but the cool thing then is that then you have on your phone, if you want to make a transaction, let's say you've got a family thing and you're doing a three of five, you can use the telegram or whatsapp to to send little files around to sign a transaction everyone downloads it signs it on their phone sends it to the next person and then once you get three signatures you can send it so the cool thing is it makes it such that you have security like some of the best in class security on your bitcoin because it's a multi-sig right um it's the same as stuff that like unchained or casa does with like the three of five whatever that's basically their like best in class thing. Um, except that now the people who are holding the keys are like family members or people that you know. Um, and you're able to do it decentralized. You don't have to tell anyone that you're doing it. You set it up privately. Um, I don't know. It's something that I like really would suggest people like try out and play around with the small amounts of Bitcoin. Like maybe you try it with your friends with 10 to $50 of like Bitcoin on like these wallets and figure out how it works and get comfortable with it. Because then I think it really empowers you to have some really, really good, you know, decentralized, independent security on your Bitcoin um, that is like as good as what you're going to get from a service. Um, and you also like get gain this confidence in using these tools. So um, if you later want to like, it, make, it makes self-custody, I think, like something that is not just you, like you share it with your family, so to speak. Um, but you all become better users of Bitcoin because you're able to do like more interesting and complex things like as a team, sort of, I don't know. <laughs> no, but that's cool. Uh, so yeah, so just to, uh, to make it a small summary, guys, so the, the thing is that there are a multi-sig and uh, the sig is the one that you... The, the signature that belongs to you and the multi-sig is the one that you explained like really well <laughs> between uh, between three five peoples whatever you want and you, you want to, to split it and actually i think it's 
actually it's a really good concept because you, you don't have to get involved with your private kit because uh for those that don't know when when you have um a wallet without kyc or whatever you have a call wallet uh you have your public uh, uh key and your private key right so uh the public key is the one that you make your transaction and the private key is the one that you shouldn't Sign. share with anyone <laughs> Sign, yeah yeah so. Well, you need to load your private key onto the phone so you can sign for it, right? Mm -hmm. um, or you can use, there's ways that you can have like a little hard, like a little device that your key lives on, and then you can tap it to your phone and stuff. It's sort of complicated. Mm -hmm. It's like, maybe that's more complicated than we should get into. But um, <laughs> yeah, the secret key stuff is, yeah, that's interesting. Anyways. Yeah, no, but actually it's it's really important to, to talk about is because, uh, well, um, I mean, the, the main audience is Salvadorians and the people that are getting starting to to know Bitcoin, but are also people that are Bitcoiners already. So, and one of the the topics that you know that recently had happened is the um, all the scandal that happened with with Ledger because because of their recovery service. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's also you know like. I don't know because the main thing that the problem that they have is that they made this service uh, without consulting anyone. So, I yeah, I think like and so like whenever so Ledger basically takes your key, the Ledger service. Do we want to talk about how it works? Did you guys already yeah. talk about how it works? Uh, um, Ledger, no, actually no, but but you can explain. <laughs> yeah, they take your private key. They split it into three parts. So it's kind of like they make a multi-sig out of your key. They mm -hmm. encrypt each of the pieces and then they send it to three servers that they mm -hmm. own. Mm -hmm. um, so whoever has the decryption key and access to those servers can put your private key back together. Mm -hmm. I don't know what they're using to do the encryption. So that's a good question. Like, is it something that only you know? Is it something that they know? It sounds like it's something they know because... Then if you want them to put your key back together, you have to go give them your your identity, prove that it's you. The problem is, what if someone steals your identity and goes to Ledger and says, hey, exactly. I'm me, please reconstruct my wallet because you can and send the funds somewhere else. So sharing your private keys with someone else is not cool. Like That's not a good idea. The cool thing about the multi-sig though, right, is you don't have to share your private key with anyone but you still get kind of this sharded, like this like pieces of, you know, then if like if something happens to my phone, let's say I lose my phone and I'm on a family thing and it's a three of five. Well, now there's only four keys that are able to sign. So as soon as that happens, you should create a new wallet with a new key and move all the funds to a new three of five, with an, if that makes sense. Like as soon as you yeah. lose one of them, you should move everything. But it still means that there's still three people around to move it at least three of them mm -hmm. four right so you mm -hmm. can still recover all your stuff so it's like a good recovery mechanism it's like you use the social network though that you have with your friends and people that you trust um i don't know i feel like it would be super fun to go into high schools and get like high school clicks, <laughs> groups of high school yeah. kids on like little multi-sigs and so like you can just like practice or whatever i should figure out a way to do this here in texas and just like go into school have the kids set up wallets and like practice passing all the stuff around actually um, i i have an idea that I, I i was thinking that the same thing that okay you wanted to do it on texas but you know it, it really it should really 
could be a, a good experiment in El Salvador with mi primer Bitcoin with John Dennehy because they're going to schools and they're going to small communities. Yeah. So it could it's be- It's so uh, much fun. I did it with, so I hang out, I've been hanging out with some pretty technical, smart people in Texas and we spent one day, we did what, we did this like exercise, like the same thing that I do in the video. We did it as like a group of like 10 people. It was kind of mayhem, you know, we just like share the private keys and everyone's <laughs> typing everything on their phones and stuff, which you're really not supposed to do. But like, it's, yeah. if you're just doing like small amounts and like, a, it's fine for like a demo thing. Um, and so many of them had never done it before. It was like, they've been in Bitcoin for years, longer than me even. I've been in it for half a decade and they had never used, found tools or used, known that you could, how easy it was to do this. So yeah, it would be super fun to do it with like kids in school. And then can you imagine you like have to like negotiate with your friends if you want to <laughs> or whatever, like, you know, but then you start getting into like, I think what are kind of like the fun parts of Bitcoin is like doing exactly. it with your friends and like being part of, you know, it's almost like outside of Bitcoin, they have this concept of DAOs, like decentralized, uh -huh. whatever. Uh -huh. It's basically yeah. like multi-sigs are basically DAOsing because then you as a group have to decide how you're spending your Bitcoin. Um, got to talk to the other people into like how you're spending it. I don't know. Yeah. So then I don't know. I, I like you get into like the sort of fun part of it. Um, you can also use the multi-sig thing to set up a um, multi-sig wallet for yourself. So you don't have to involve other people. Um, yeah. Sparrow makes it easy to have separate like hardware devices. So you never put the private key anywhere except on that device, but you can put the public key info into the little builder and mm -hmm. you can build your own like, three of five thing and then you have just a bunch of devices that you have to use to sign um so it's like super flexible for building your own like security scheme yeah exactly actually it will be that that's super secure for transactor funds and everything now but you see that that's why I, I i wanted to clarify also the difference the difference between what happened with uh with ledger because it's not the same thing but it could be related but somehow but no because you know because uh, what you explained that ledger, um, you can they split it on three parts, and the, but the, the thing is that they have information. So and in this in this case, there's no company behind it. It's your friends, your family, or even you yep. yourself. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. You do it yourself. You do it for yourself. Yeah, self sovereignty. Exactly. One hundred percent. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I think we have around. 10 minutes but i have an interesting uh question that i want to ask you did you know that there's a we have meetings uh here in, in, in spain and uh recently I, I went one and and actually it was on bitcoin pizza day and we were discussing about you know a lot of things about Bitcoin. but one of the things that uh uh we were discussing was uh quantum computer so there was one guy that that told me like okay right now bitcoin is really secure you know that it's, it's really efficient but do you, don't you see a like a threat quantum computers to you know because that's the com the power of those computers could i don't know somehow have so much power to attack the bitcoin network and i was like mm, i don't think so because because the technology as soon as it's getting developed um, I think developers are also working and thinking about quantum computers. So, so since you're a developer, so I think it's a great question to you <laughs> to ask you. Yeah. So I think like 
Bitcoin has a few things in place that make it harder to use quantum computers to figure out. So, I mean, this is like, I think there's definitely a threat vector to private key security. Um, and the reason that quantum computers are such a threat to the kind of encryption and any encrypted system, it's not just Bitcoin. So your ability mm -hmm. to hide information and send it encrypted so that no one else can read it um, really becomes in general threatened sort of by very powerful quantum machines. The reason for that is that you assume that people won't be able to like guess what your private key is. Does that make sense? Because mm -hmm. the number of options of what is your private key is so large but quantum computers in theory are supposed to be able to like explore search spaces really fast. So they'd be mm -hmm. able to figure out what your private key is and then spend your Bitcoin is the whole like threat. Um, Bitcoin has like some legacy addresses used to use hashes. So that makes it even harder for people to figure out what your, if people can't see your public key because it's hashed, they can't figure out how to figure out the private key. So old school, like prior to Taproot addresses all have this like protection. Um, so that basically means the amount of time someone would have to mount an attack against you would be like quite small. I can't remember why for Taproot we decided not to do that. There was must have been a reason for for Taproot. They like just use bare pub keys again. There's some decent writing on this. Like Peter Willa is one of the core architects of the Taproot upgrade. And I feel like he had some pretty interesting writing on like the threat of quantum computers and what it would mean. Um, basically, if Bitcoin is broken, the value of Bitcoin goes to zero. So what's the value of using a quantum computer to steal Bitcoin if it's you're stealing something that's valueless? Because as soon as you steal it, all of a sudden it's not worth anything exactly. anymore. Uh -huh. Yeah. So, Siphoning, Siphoning actually, I, I, I remember that Siphoning in his book, the, the Bitcoin standard actually this may analogy that as soon as you attack Bitcoin and it, it will be worthless. Yeah. So. So unless you're trying to destroy the system, which maybe someone wants to, there's really no economic incentive to do it other than like, just to be a troll, which there's plenty of trolls in the world. So I don't think we should discount that. Um, some people <laughs> just love chaos, right? Like yeah. not everyone is like, not everyone is, is financially motivated, which I think is like kind of where some of that thinking feels wrong because like if you assume everyone is financially motivated and only does things that make financial sense, you'll you'll be wrong in a lot of the cases because there's people that exist that love chaos more than money, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't think we can discount the chaos vector. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And um, all right. I, I think I'm going to make you the, the last three questions, and I think one of them is um, uh, your projects, uh, personal project that you have. For this year, 2023. Besides uh, all the work that you're doing on Base 58 and uh, and uh, with Area Bitcoin. Oh, what other personal projects am I working on this year? Mm -hmm. Um, that's a great question. Um, besides the book, I'm working on trying to make a book about transacting with Bitcoin. So it will take a lot of the stuff that I teach in the class and make it such that you can read it as a textbook. I think that'll be really cool. I haven't yeah. been working on it much because I've been busy, but um, yeah. What other things am I working on? You mean like outside of Bitcoin? <laughs> okay. Yeah, <laughs> I like this. Um, yeah, I don't really have a lot of stuff I do outside of Bitcoin. That sounds. Funny, but, <laughs> um, 
I do a lot of I have two dogs. I hang out with my dogs a lot, I guess. They're cool. Oh, that's so cool. I have an Yeah. English bulldog and he's so cute too. <laughs> Oh, that's so cute. Yeah, they're super cute for sure. All right. And the other question is, I think it's really important. So for people that um, maybe they, they want to start uh, to become a developer, but, you know, in Bitcoin, uh, how a uh, recommendation, how they should, they should start to doing it? Yeah, I think like, so, I mean, I'm going to sell my own stuff. We have a, the Bitcoin transactions class, the deep dive that Base58 does. I think like, I think it's hard and I think it's challenging, but I think it's a really good place to start. Um, assuming you've maybe taken some basic learn how to program classes. So like Replit has a really great 100 days of Python. So if you don't know anything about developing and you want to learn how to develop, Replit's 100 days of Python is a really good first thing to do to learn Python. After Yeah, Python you've learned is Python, yeah, Python is really after good. you've learned, after you learned some Python, because Base 58, all of our exercises use Python. After you've learned Mm. some Python, check out the Base 58 transactions deep dive. That's like our first class that teaches you all about Bitcoin primitives, like basics of Bitcoin transactions on a technical level. You learn a lot. Um, we have an upcoming class, which is online live instruction. So I'll be teaching it that's um, starting in July. And then, so it's not quite a hundred days, but if you start now, you'll be able to get halfway through the hundred days of Python before the class starts. We also have, it's a six week long class. The first three weeks of it are up on Udemy. So you can also start up on our Hmm. self-paced <laughs> okay. Udemy class anytime you want. It's quite cheaper. It's a lot cheaper than the like six week online live instruction class because I don't have to show up for it. You can just take it. Um, I'm hoping to get the next three weeks of class up on Udemy sometime in the next month or so. So you'd be able to do the whole six week class in two sections. Um, but the, the whole three week thing is like, it's um the way that the class works, it's very nicely divided into two kind of like things that you learn about. The first one is all about transactions and Bitcoin script. So that's the first three weeks. So it's very self-contained. If you take the Udemy class, you'll have a really good complete Like it's like a solid complete unit. It's not like you'll be you'll be missing things, but whatever. Um, okay, I actually need to run. My my laptop's about to die, but um, it was really great to meet you, Juan. I hope that answered all your questions. Um, Thank you for being I'll here. send you Thank links you. and stuff. Yeah, for base Yeah, fifty I'll, I'm eight. going to put it on the podcast notes. Okay, So, cool. Great. thank you for your time and see you. Bye. <laughs> so, see ya. see you. See you next week, guys. Ciao.